that focus on brand, I think, is becoming even more important as people start recognizing the names of brand that they can trust. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. Okay, welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm Mitch Fanning with RentSync, and joining me today is Ashley Perry, who is the director of Built to Rent, or, or BTR, a consultancy at Live Consult, an advisory service for both the BTR and co-living communities in the UK. Ashley, how are you doing today? Very well, and uh, thank you for the invite. Well, you're, you're most welcome. So maybe you can start by expanding on that intro and telling us a little bit more about yourself I maybe live and and how you got started in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with myself. As, as you've mentioned, my name's Ashley Perry. I'm a, a chartered surveyor and uh, I've been involved in multifamily built to rent here in the UK and Europe for the past four or so years, specializing in previously in residential development, in particularly in London. I've been in London for the last seven and a bit years, and I'm originally Canadian, born in BC. So uh, you may hear my accent sort of kind of goes between UK and uh, and Canadian, depending on who I'm talking to. In terms of our Live Consult team, we're a specialist built to rent consultancy that works with investors, developers that are bringing forward products into the UK and European markets, and uh, and also local authorities so that those are the, uh, the local councils that may be bringing forward built to rent communities for their own income generation and development and then our focus of our team has sort of really ramped up I and mean, i joined live consult at a relatively startup position live consult is is, is six people now and i joined i was the, the fourth person through the door we have been with the team since 2017, and uh, we've been operating independently as a consultancy across UK, Ireland, and Spain for those past four or five years now. Interestingly enough, our wider business, Live Group, is a third-party operational manager, predominantly in the UK for major institutional investors on purpose-built communities. And our parent company, Live Consult and Live Group, were acquired by a company called Cortland, who is a U.S. multifamily, safe to say, the U.S. multifamily giant that is growing in the U.K. and Europe. So um, things have really blossomed as the uh, as the sector has evolved in the U.K. Uh, and and Europe as well. So yeah, very excited to be part of the growth of uh, the multifamily story here in the uh, in Europe. Perfect. Thank you for that. And so maybe just an obvious place to start from there would be to kind of highlight some of the key differences between the UK and North America when it comes to the rental markets and, and maybe specifically, you know, Canada versus the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think generally there are some similarities, but I would I would suggest that within within the UK growth of built to rent, it very much grew out um, over the course of the last seven or eight years in predominantly very urban areas. So you're in a transport nodes. It's built around predominantly started in London, then grew into the regions, Manchester, 
Liverpool, Birmingham, now north of the border, um, the Scottish border in, in Glasgow and Edinburgh with, with major communities under development and, uh, and some of which are in operation across the UK. I mean, it's a very small fraction. Purpose-built rental communities are a very small fraction of the wider private rented market in the UK. So there are some similarities that there, that, that, that it's a, there is a, an identified need in these urban areas. So, so for example, I grew up in predominantly in, in BC. What I see in Vancouver and what's happening is the sort of restrictive development nature of, of what's happening to multifamily is very similar to areas and pockets of constrained development uh, I see in London where there might be a particular borough which is a kind of jurisdiction area within London there, where there might be some rich hotspots of rental growth. There's hotspots of real sort of built up and pent up demand in those areas. So there's some real similarities, but I would say we're, we're really on that first, we're on the journey towards really, if you look at a, a, a and take any city in most, in most cases around the UK, you might have a handful of operating, open and operating purpose-built rental communities. And you're only now seeing people move from, the BTR 1.0 to BTR 2.0 that might have the better amenities or the better the better quality experience. So I would say that there's we are very much on that let's say toddler who's learned how to walk stage of of development. Whereas in in say Canada you've got some established kind of walk up blocks which might not be purpose built, but but as well as the highly amenitized blocks in in one of the major cities. I would say that there's there's very sort of subtle nuances between those between those markets, but but really urban markets that are driving that pent up demand and institutional supporting narrative for uh, for investment is very similar across both. Now this that's the second time you've mentioned or you've you've described the UK market as a toddler because you did this on the prep call. And so I, I guess What's you know my next question, or or if we can kind of unpack that, what what's driving that that growth or that interest in uh in in BTR? Is it the normal things like there's people moving in there, uh, there's investment coming in? Like, is it kind of the normal things that you would you would kind of anticipate or 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 look to, or is it is it something you know different than that? Well, I think what's driving it, and and my reference there to to a toddler learning to walk, I should I should caveat that it's not that's not really my phrase. <laughs> I've, I've seen it I've seen it used in when we all used to get together for for conferences with the, the great and good of UKBTR attending them. It was somebody coined that probably eighteen plus months ago. So perhaps that toddler's slightly older now. And I would actually say just just sort of to to give to give real credit to some of the market conditions if i take the, the snapshot of the eye of the storm as 2020 just to, to give you a kind of case study our, our role is kind of an independent consultancy spans work we do with on the operation of our courtland colleagues who we do a lot of great deal of internal work for but also i have very strong links to some of the operators who shall remain nameless for the purposes of this call but the the interesting thing is in that 2020 there's a real pressure around uh, uh, there were some there were some very challenging market conditions where there was a great deal of supply that came out of the ground in 2017 that ended up being completed end of 2019 early 2020 that could not possibly have landed and be open and operating at a worse time and the response to that has been various rental incentives etc at all that actual urban growth whilst it's been subdued the urban growth in places like Birmingham where the demand has been sustained and actually 
I, I, I hesitate to. I mean, obviously, giving statistics that that that, that are for kind of uh, are giving too much of a case study, but well in well in excess of the lease up anticipated by some of those major operators of three, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred unit developments. That pent up demand for people that wanted a managed service, which hasn't existed in some of these locations before. So it may not be the heavily amenitized, it may not be particularly sort of five star luxurious apartments. These are just really positive experiences for the residents, is something that's quite new. And I think that the pandemic has kind of put pressure on people to see that they want something different from their apartment. If they rent an apartment from a sort of non-institutional landlord, they might have a bad experience in the rest of the building. They might not have their parcels managed, et cetera. Well, we're at the cusp of that being recognized in the mainstream press. There's been a lot of coverage of this, but I, I would say genuinely it's that we're moving into an awareness stage as all of the industry is focused on delivery of the product and the experience and talking all the good stuff that we will talk about. It's actually really in the last two and a half years, but particularly I would say focused in the last 18 months to a year where the, 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 the pandemic has brought this really into focus. So it's, it's quite an exciting unintended consequence that people are now giving customer reviews that are singing the praises of the management teams and the, and the experience that's being offered to them, to, to individual residents. And it's, it's, it's quite heartwarming. There's, there's not without some of the challenges. There's definitely, it's not wholesale brilliance across the sector, but it's, the overwhelming majority of that is being extremely well received by the customers who ultimately are, are even more discerning than they probably were prior to the pandemic. Yeah, it's interesting, you, you know, and you use the word managed services, and I, I'm just going to kind of go on a, you know, maybe off script for, you know, a moment. I, I often find that as, as the subscriber economy kind of, you know, kicks into another level, with everyone obviously having subscriptions for for different services, you know, when you look at, you know, a, you know a you know a, a community, you can almost look at it the same way: is that people are willing to pay a subscription, or in this case, rent, for a good experience for something that is, you know, like you called it, managed and and has all the amenities that they're looking for. So I I think in a way with younger people, but also people that are, are, are getting older and just professionals. That's, that's something, you know, as they, as they look at other subscriptions and they, they almost start to look at it, maybe rent that way. I'm not sure if that's, if that's the case, but it, I'm just kind of seeing that trend and I'm hearing that more and more. Interested in being a guest on sink or swim or have a really great idea for an episode, email us at podcast at rentsync.com. I think that resonates. I think the impending challenge around affordability in a economy that will take time to to come out of this situation clearly hasn't affected the target demographic and the experienced actual demographic in these built to rent communities these generally white collar professionals is the majority of the residents above slightly above average income I, I think that that subscription economy point does resonate for sure I think the one uh, and, and there are platforms now that have launched that have sort of talked about membership to the community. And I think that that sort of envisaged reality of a community in a building versus the reality of the community has been really tested in the last 12 months or so, Yeah, where the, 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 the glossy brochure, the website might, might position a position as a community to, to have all of the, the bells and whistles, the, com- the community aspect, the reviews might say great things. But some of that hasn't obviously been able to be opened in the current climate. And, and 
And people have been noticing that and then kind of questioning, well, why am I paying a 10, 15% premium on the open market for those services? So I, I do think there'll be anytime people view or make assessments of a market or, or the, the conditions in the midst of, let's say, the eye of the storm, it's almost like, uh, what, where is the next, what is the outcome of unlocking, getting back to normal. Obviously, things are slightly different in the UK right now versus other places, clearly. I feel that we'll we'll get back to some level of, of, of normality very shortly. It's interesting. I, I actually presented to a, uh, a Canadian investor that's heavily invested into UK built to rent back in May last year. And, and I went back to those to, to those comments I left in the kind of conclusion in that this is a very prominent investor. And I sort of said, customers will remember how you treat them in the period right now. And and that has become true. And also that focus on brand, I think, is is becoming even more important as people start recognizing the names of the brand that they can trust. And I think that that comes back to the subscription economy. Like you said, it's your Amazon Prime, your Netflix, your whatever the built-to-rent operator is. And there's some, given it's someone's most significant outgoing expense every month, people expect a certain degree of high quality experience off of the back of that. There's no question. Now, obviously, you know, you've, you've mentioned COVID a couple of times and we, you know, during these conversations, it's hard not to, of course, you know, obviously COVID has affected a lot of businesses and people, including I'm sure the, the UK rental market. That being said, you know, have there, have there been any positives that, that you can speak of you know, or said another way, have there been any beneficial changes which maybe you know you've you've you kind of had to pivot into during this time, but maybe you'll continue with in the future? It's really interesting, actually, isn't it? I mean, some of the market conditions that have been well publicized when you delve deeply into, they call it let's take London first and then kind of move out from there. The donut effect. So very central locations, zone one and zone two, in terms of the, the London Underground tube map, definitely have seen and continue to experience relatively depressed demand, which has driven rents down. The focus, and if you take this kind of zoom out, some of the commuter belt, which people aren't obviously doing the commuting, but some of those places that were 45, 50 minutes away from sort of central business nodes, the city, Canary Wharf. West End, uh, Mayfair, and, and that, those kind of areas, and, and even North London, which has a high degree of office occupation as well. Those areas have definitely seen a reprioritization of, of requests from residents. So what does a resident want? There's been a huge uptick in people wanting accessible garden space for obvious reasons, because that was, that was always available to people to enjoy. So I would say there's been, from a development level, even more so, whether it's sort of planning policy mandated focus on balconies, external space, et cetera. It's definitely higher on the priority list of development briefings that I'm involved in with our, with our team and, and our kind of wider um, industry peers. I mean, I get to the point that an example would be a commuter belt scheme that I was looking at with an institutional investor in the last three or four months, specific question around, do we have enough balconies? And it was not a gain, a, a deal break that there weren't that many balconies as a proportion of the scheme. It was about 50%, but it was a, we're asking that question, does this suit what our future customers will want and, and have those preferences massively changed? I would also say there's a subsector, no one's kind of coined the phrase other than a couple of institutional investors called SBTR, which would be suburban BTR. 
we've been working in this space for probably three and a half years with a number of different house builders and and master plan developers that that deliver the uh, the communities in the suburbs around the UK and Ireland as well, where there's now con- concerted and continued investor interest. I can highlight one major deal in this space uh, where, where Goldman Sachs acquired a portfolio of over 800 single family apartment homes with no amenities. I mean, these are these are relatively simple communities in a sense, but they're fully stabilized. The income was proven. The model was proven. A lot of the, the, the horse may have bolted on that before, but I would say, I mean, that transaction ended at the uh, completed at the end of December, but certainly that business model has been proven over the course of the last 18 months in particular, but also the rental market conditions, the growth of sort of five, six, seven percent growth in some of these suburban locations has been driven by perhaps a not necessarily focusing on what's my commute going to be like, what's my lifestyle going to be like. And I think that some of that continued institutional investment into suburban built to rent, ideally in purpose-built communities, will probably consistently continue to thrive in the uh, post-COVID situation. And I think that as a proportion of the rental market, SBTR, suburban BTR, is definitely a less than a tenth of the fraction of the built-to-rent market in urban centers. So it's got a long way to grow and grow, as it were. So we're looking forward to being part of that, to be honest. It's interesting. That's the first time I've heard of that term. And I, we, I just spoke with, uh, we had a panel discussion last week and how transportation used to be at the top and, and as far as like, you know, location and it actually has moved down. It's still important. It's still number two, but it's kind of switched spots with, uh, I believe it was, I believe it was, uh, groceries, but it's kind of, again, that a sign of the, the changing of the times again, you know, will that slingshot back up at the beginning at the top? Sure. Maybe it will, but, uh, it's just interesting how trends are, are kind of, uh, you know, in flux right now, as far as what people, what people are looking for when they're, when they're uh, looking for a, a new place to rent. So, you know, as we kind of come to a close here in the conversation, uh, I guess, you know, the, 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 you know, before we kind of get into a, a bit of a quick fire round, you know, what in your mind, if you look three to five, maybe 10 years out, what does the future of the, the, the built to rent market in the UK look like? I think we will see sort of start seeing continued trading of some of the built and operating assets. We're, we're getting there. So we're, where people have built and stabilized schemes and there's, there's rent proven and operating costs proven. I, I think that the, that weight of institutional capital is getting there and there's more and more people looking at right. Let's let's yields might compress even further in these urban centres, your Manchester's, Birmingham's, Liverpool, Greater London, and also the secondary locations. I think that probably the one other thing that I, I would continue to see is a lot of the secondary locations having one or two or three communities in a town of maybe a hundred thousand people, uh, 50, 60, 80, 100,000 people that have a smaller market, but people are seeing that as an as an opportunity to to establish themselves. So I think that will probably be a headline. There'll be a lot of smaller, less recognizable locations on the radar, because we've already seen that occur, particularly post-pandemic, as people look sort of further out of central London. So yeah, and I think that that SBTR model is probably going to consistently grow over the course of the next three to five years, um, we've seen that in Dublin as well. In the last couple of months, that have that have shown up. 
if we think about the model that a private equity group may have, again, develop, stabilize, and then consolidate, I could see some sort of larger ticket trades happening in the next, uh, certainly before that three to five year horizon. Okay. So now we kind of move into the quick fire round where I'll say a statement and you've got 30 to 60 seconds to respond. So Ashley, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So who from the UK should I have on this podcast? You should have my friend Adina David of Greystar, a number of different people across both Greystar and the wider ULI Europe, um, the Urban Land Institute Europe strategy around uh, co-living and what it means to our communities and cities. So I think she'd be a great next guest on the pod. Okay, perfect. I'll put that in the show notes to, uh, to reach out. What have you changed your mind about lately as a result of COVID? I think more a continued priority of that, as you've said, that walkable neighborhood. And I always ask the question, and we continue to bring it up at very early stage design team meetings, and, and in terms of what what's the actual neighborhood like, and where can I go on a, a Sunday morning to get the paper and get some milk if I've run out? And if that isn't clear, and that whole imagining myself as a resident of this future community isn't clear, then it needs to be sort of it needs to be focused on as the investors change those priorities in response to the resident um, requirements. So I think that that kind of continued theme of res neighborhood raising, rising up the priority list rather than proximity to other things. Uh, I think that that's just, that's number one at the top of my list at the moment. Okay. Last question is what's the most misunderstood thing about the UK market? I think the quantum of, high quality residents in and 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 appropriate affordability in secondary locations and pushing that a little bit too far in some instances um, i definitely can see some challenges on horizon uh, on that front so perhaps not quite aligning your core target audience to what is your actual local resident demand because generally people move in the uk quite locally and, and sort of two, three mile radius. And actually really a detailed understanding of that is sometimes possibly overlooked in, in the process of, of developing purpose-built communities. Because I've seen that in relatively slow lease-up rates for, for some communities in the market. And that's generally that mismatch between expectation and reality. So I think that there's definitely been some learnings off the back of, of, of being in the cold face of, of renting those communities. Okay. And finally, you know, where can people find you and, you know, a little bit more about Live Consult on the, uh, on the interweb? That's a good question. We're working on the website, but you can find me on LinkedIn, just Ashley Perry. You can find me on Twitter, mostly pictures of uh, my dogs or my daughters or indeed a little bit of real estate bit in there. So I'm at Ashley Perry UK on Twitter and uh, yeah, I'm very happy to chat to anybody that's interested in the UK and European BTR markets. So, um, we'll welcome, uh, we'll welcome any, uh, any conversation. Perfect. Well, that's it for this episode. Ashley, thanks so much for doing this. I guess until next time, keep swimming. You've reached the end of another episode of sink or swim. Make sure to visit us at rensink.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in the show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.